right, great to see you out this morning. Starting a new series called The Cause today. And don't forget, uh, tonight at 5.30, our worship and communion night. And it's also our annual business meeting, uh, which means that we need to approve uh, an annual budget. And we have our 2020 deacon and officer election. Uh, this year, we do not have any new nominees, but I'll share with you uh, who's on the ballot for tonight. And actually, if uh, any of the deacons and officers that I call your name, if you could stand that are in this service, I know some are in the other service. Uh, we have four deacons that are part of a two-year term right now, and they're not up for election again until next summer, 2021. That would be Eric Fallon, uh, Brent Mai, Sid Rocklitz, and Bill Vansickle. So those four... Eric's the only one in this service, looks like. Uh, thank you. And then the deacons for elections tonight on uh, two-year terms. Daryl Deacons, Brandon Hunt, Scott Watnabe, and Steve Wester. If we could get... Okay, I've got some of those guys in here. Thank you, man. Uh, our trustees for election, Jim Hain and Chuck Thomas. And our treasurer, Ben Mannon, uh, Ben's right back here, all right? So thank you, men, for that. So that'll be the election tonight. And then uh, next Sunday, don't forget, there is a security team meeting right after second service. And if you'd like to be a part of the security team here at Centennial, uh, they're getting kind of going with some of those things, and yeah, that'll be next Sunday. Well, if you had to choose the most famous story from the Scriptures, what would you say it is? You had to choose the most famous story from the Scriptures, right? What did you choose? Noah and the ark, uh, Jonah and the whale, Daniel and the lion's den, uh, obviously the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, the creation story. Uh, how about David and Goliath, right? That would be a pretty famous one. be right up there, wouldn't it? Uh, well, well, as we get into the series called The Cause, it's going to go these next three weeks. David and Goliath is where we're going to get started this morning. And I am sure that most people are very familiar with uh, this episode in history. Shepherd Boy Drops a Giant with a sling and a stone, and then uses the giant's own sword to cut off his head, right? Uh, we're going to go deeper, though, into this uh, this morning to understand that God's cause was the most important part of the story, just like God's cause is the most important part of every story, including your story and my story. And if God's cause is the, is the foundation of your story, your life's going to have purpose, if God's cause is not the foundation of your story, your life is going to be wasted. And so let's go uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'll give you a second to get over there. 1 Samuel 17. And we're going to start our reading this morning just as David arrives on the scene in the Valley of Elah. Uh, his father has asked him to take his brothers some groceries and to drop off some cheeses to their captains and get a good report of what's going on to bring back home with him. And, and right when David gets there, a champion named Goliath comes out and defies the armies of Israel, 
to send out a man to fight him. And he'd been doing this for 40 days. The men of Israel were frightened every time he came out by his appearance and his voice. And so let's catch up with it. 1 Samuel 17, verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither, and with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou might see the battle. But David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another, spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And uh, so then David tells the story about he's keeping the sheep, and there comes a, a lion and a bear, and he takes them both out with his bare hands. And, and then Saul tries to give David his armor, and it just doesn't fit. And he said, I can't wear this, I haven't proved him. And, and so he goes out into the field in the valley, and he comes out before the Philistine. And let's catch up with him. Uh, in verse 41, the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. So the giant was so big, he had to have a guy in front of him just to carry his shield. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. And said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defined. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee, take thine head from thee. And I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth. Now, <clears throat> I want you to look at this last part of verse 46, because David had asked, is there not a cause? And if you're underlining your Bible or highlighting, uh, this is the cause at the end of verse 46, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. There it is. That's the cause. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's why David fought Goliath. That's why Daniel went into the lion's den. That's why the walls of Jericho fell. From the moment man's sin brought on the curse, God has been seeking to redeem man back to himself. And his cause is that all the people of the earth might know true relationship with him. And so today we're going to lay out a biblical case for the cause, and then over these next two weeks, 
We'll talk about what that means for us uh, in 2020. And so you have notes either in your bulletin or on the YouVersion app, and you can follow along. We will go to several different scriptures today, and so get ready for that. Uh, let's talk first about the reason for the cause. The reason for the cause. Yeah, the reason for the cause is separation. On the sixth day of creation, man was created in the image of God uh, as a three-in-one, body, soul, and spirit. And uh, God also made woman in his image to be in a help and a companion to the man. No other created beings were like the human race. God had a special relationship with the first couple, and he walked with them in the Garden of Eden. All they knew was perfection. All they knew was good. They were innocent. But God didn't make them into robots. He made humans with free will. And God allowed that free will to be tested by the presence of the serpent. As we all know, when that free will was tested, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. Eve ate it through deceit. Adam ate it by choice. And they immediately lost their innocence. Uh, the perfect body, soul, and spirit combo was rearranged. And uh, here you have this, uh, this, these perfect humans. They have perfect body, perfect soul, perfect spirit. Now they had bodies that were degenerating heading toward eventual death. Uh, they had souls that it could, could experience death instead of life. They had spirits that were separated from the presence of God. And when I was born and when you were born, we were born under this curse. And I was born 48 years ago with an imperfect body facing death from the moment of birth. Now, I was born with a soul that has, was already dead through the generational curse and a spirit that was disconnected from God. Now, thank God, uh, on Saturday, August 25th, 1984, I received Jesus into my life. And I was born a new creature. My spirit, for the first time, was alive and in relationship with God. My soul was passed from death unto life. But my old body just keeps degenerating. Right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? How many of you have at some point this week thought, you know what? I feel like I'm getting old. Right? I kind of felt that way. And how many of you are still in your 20s and you felt that way? All right. So even Tamara this week out there with the, how many pigs this week? 40 pigs? 30, 30 something? Do you have an exact count for us? 37 piglets born this week. No wonder she's tired. I see her back there stretching. She's tired. 37 piglets. And if you need some ham, now you talk to that girl right there. Uh, but I, I was born on that day a new creature. And, and even though uh, this body is still headed toward eventual death, I have been assured, just like you if you're a born-again believer, a new body that has no aches and no pains, no more sickness, no more crying. And when you were born, you were born in the separation from God. As you grew through your toddler years into the knowledge of good and evil, by your own free will, you chose separation from God. You chose to sin. Isaiah 59 explains this. 
Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. The reason why God's cause is so important is that mankind is separated from God. You can look at Genesis 3 and, and see the cause initiating. Adam and Eve uh, realized that they had lost innocence. Their eyes were open. They realized the first time they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They hid themselves from God as he called to them. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? And Adam says in verse 10, uh, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God says, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Whereof I commanded thee thou shouldst not eat. And Adam threw Eve under the bus. Right? Remember this? Adam said, the woman thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Right? So he says, God, if you hadn't given me that woman, I never would have sinned. Right? The woman you gave me, she made me eat of this. And, and so God says to Eve, what is this thou hast done? And the woman blamed it on the serpent. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. Now I want you to go to Genesis 3 and we're going to see kind of the end point of this and look at what God tells the serpent. There were uh, several things that were listed in the curse of humanity, uh, but let's look at, at the first prophecy ever given in Scripture. So Genesis 3, and verse number 14, the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And verse 15 is the first prophecy ever given. It introduces the cause. Here was what it meant. The seed of the woman, the Messiah, would someday come and defeat death, defeat evil, defeat Satan. Why? that all the people of the earth might know God. And, and so the reason was separation. The reason was separation. But the recipients of the cause, the second part of the message, the recipients of the cause, sinners. Okay, the recipients of the cause are sinners. How many people does God want to come to repentance, uh, to come back in a relationship with Him? All of them. He wants them all to come back. He is not willing that any should perish. He's no respecter of persons. He loves every person and desires every person to be in his family. But as Jesus told the Pharisees, only the sick can be made whole. Only the blind can be made to see. And if you aren't a sinner, God sending Jesus to bring you into relationship with himself is not an available path for you. The only ones who can receive the message of the cause are sinners. Now, hopefully you come to the realization that you aren't just a mistaker, right? You're a, you're a sinner. Now, sin, it's a pesky word, right, anymore. Society doesn't like it. 
They don't use sin anymore. Why? Because sin makes me think of God. Sin makes me think of judgment. Uh, sin, just the word, would mean that there's, there's a giant moral absolute out there and that I'm accountable. And I might have to beg for forgiveness. So I'm probably going to be punished. Uh, here's what the dictionary says the definition for sin is. Sin, this is a dictionary definition. Sin is a transgression of divine law. It's a transgression of divine law, which means that there is a divine person or God or something that has a law. Here's another part of the definition. Any act regarded as such a transgression, especially a willful or deliberate violation of some religious or moral principle. Sin means that I did it on purpose. Sin means it was willful. Sin means I knew it was wrong when I did it, and that it doesn't make me feel very good about myself. In fact, if I commit a sin, after a while I think I'm a bad person. So sin's not a word that anyone likes. You know what word we like? Mistake. Right? We like that word. I made a mistake. Let me read you the definition of a mistake, okay? See if it's different. A mistake is an error in action, calculation, opinion, or judgment caused by poor reasoning. Now, if we're honest, we all know that we aren't just mistakers. We are sinners. You know who the most dangerous people in the world are? The ones who won't admit that they're sinners. The ones who think that everybody else is a sinner, but not me, I'm just a mistaker. You know who the most dangerous people in the church are? The ones who've forgotten that they're sinners. Right? They've forgotten that they're sinners. They like to heap judgment on everybody else, but they've forgotten what they used to be. And listen, to receive God's cause, the cause David fought Goliath for, we have to admit that we're sinners. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus didn't die for good people. He only died for sinners. I love Romans 5.8. It says, but God commendeth or gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is only through the perfect blood of the spotless lamb that sinners can be redeemed. This past week, a, a news commentator named Don Lemon was trying to knock the Founding Fathers of America down a notch by revealing that they were imperfect, right? Because nobody knew that our Founding Fathers were imperfect. We all thought that they were like these infallible creatures. Um, but anyway, here, here's how he went about it. He said this. Listen, this is a direct quote. He said, Jesus Christ, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ admittedly was not perfect when he was here on the earth. So why are we deifying the founders of this country, many of whom own slaves? Now, I have no idea where Mr. Lemon got his information. Maybe from a lemon. <laughs> I don't know. But it, it's, his information is absolutely false. Because Jesus was and is totally perfect. And if he were not absolutely perfect, there is no hope for anyone for salvation. 
right? If the perfect sacrifice is not perfect, then everything we believe is a fraud. And, and so there's no hope for anyone for salvation unless they're a sinner. Now, I'm praying that Mr. Lemon will realize that he too is a sinner in need of a Savior before it's too late. Because he and every person in America, and every person in Asia, every person in Australia, and Europe, and South America, and Africa, and even Antarctica is a recipient of the cause. We all are. We're sinners. We need a Savior. Now let's talk about the result of the cause. The result of the cause. The result of the cause is salvation. All right? So, so we are separated from God. We're sinners. And the result of us knowing and receiving the cause is salvation. If you keep going in Romans 5, uh, here's what comes next. I love this. It says, much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. That's the cause. Uh, reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more of being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Now, saved is a biblical word. Saved is a doctrinal word that indicates the result of receiving God's cause. There's a powerful question that's asked in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And the short answer is, we won't escape. Right? We won't escape. If we neglect so great a salvation, we won't escape. Now, my friend, you know what you have to do to gain eternal death? You know what you have to do to get eternal death? Absolutely nothing. You don't have to do anything. You were born in the condemnation. When you reach the intellectual capability of knowing the difference between uh, right and wrong, you became accountable for that condemnation. And even if you go to church and you do good things in the community, and you help the poor, and you light candles, and occasionally you read a prayer to God, you will not escape the eternal death you have earned if you neglect God's great salvation that only comes through Christ. Here's what Jesus told a religious leader named Nicodemus, uh, who came to talk to him under the cover of night. And listen to this. I, I bet you've heard the first part before. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. That's so important. Condemning the world is not God's cause. That's not his cause. God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now listen to this. Jesus made this so plain. He said this next to Nicodemus. He said, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. He's condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
Uh, those words are very powerful and they're very important for us to understand. Condemned already, separated already, lost already. If you choose not to respond to the cause, you are already condemned to eternal death and separation from God. And, and you can throw in your great intellect or your fine-tuned emotions into the equation. And there's so many people who did this, right? They become the authority on their own eternal life or death. Well, I just don't think that a loving God would send anyone to hell. Well, I just feel like everyone eventually receives eternal life. How many understand that eternal life and eternal death are not rearranged because of human feelings? Eternal life and eternal death are not rearranged because of human thinking. Right? We don't rearrange morality uh, based on what you think and what you feel. Even though society is trying to do that, it doesn't happen in God's economy. God's morals and His truth endure to all generations, even the ones who try to twist it. And, and there are millions of souls in hell right now that relied on their feelings and their thoughts instead of God's cause. And so we need to set aside the culture wars and the political jabs and the pursuit of wealth and a contentment in our lives to, to warn dear souls around us that it's only through God's cause that we find salvation. And it may sound abrupt. It may lack nuance and it may lack tolerance. But you know, Jesus, he didn't mince any words. Jesus said it this way, I am the way. Right? He didn't say, I'm one of the ways you get to God. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now that's plain. That's bold. That's simple. That has absolutely no nuance in it. And it has absolutely no tolerance in it. Do you ever think about that? That's not a tolerant statement. Jesus said, I am the way. And I don't care who you called your guru to be. This is over in India. They say, well, I'll take Jesus. He'll just add him to my list of gurus. Right? Because in India, in the Hindu religion, they have billions of gods. Right? Anything you can name is a god. And they even make up names for them. That's a god. So Jesus, I'll add him. Jesus said, no, that's not how it works. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John, Jesus' closest disciple, saw Jesus throughout his entire ministry, saw him as the resurrected Savior. And at John, he wasn't trying to, to give a flowery speech when he said this. He that has the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God has not life. Now, that doesn't leave any gray area. You know what else it doesn't leave room for? Your opinion. Right? It doesn't say, you know, he that has the Son has life unless you feel differently about it. 
right? It, it's, it's not this complex argument. It's so simple. You either have Jesus or you don't have Jesus. And, and when we talk about the cause, God's cause, that all the people of the earth might know that He's God, we're going to add a phrase next week as we get into Solomon's temple because uh, the, the cause there is listed like this, that all the people of the earth might know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. There's no other option. There's no other way other than Jesus. Now, this all brings us to the responsibility of the cause. The responsibility of the cause, which is service. <clears throat> it is us serving our Creator in His cause, in the purpose that He has given us as His children. You may have noticed that the people of this world are sort of absorbed with themselves. Right? It's a sign of the times, actually, because Paul told Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves. Right? Men will be lovers of themselves. And all the arguments about every single thing that's going on in the world today have to do with self-absorption. How can I get what I want? How can I attain what I wanted to attain? How can I label myself a certain way? And there's so many ironies in it that you can't even begin to point them out because uh, people can't absorb even the irony of it. Right? Here, here's uh, a nation today that is killing 3,000 babies every single day. And yet we have become righteous all of a sudden because we have said that certain parts of our society matter now. Right? So now we're, we're righteous because we figured out this little thing. And yet, on the other hand, we're killing 3,000 babies a day. And, and so all these ironies, they don't even fit in. They don't factor in. If you try to tell somebody this, people are so absorbed in their own pursuits and what they think that they can't even listen to what you say. Uh, the rich are trying to get richer. The ambitious are trying to get more power. Uh, Humanity is burying itself in schemes and projects and facts and the internet and ideas and, and thrills and all these different things that are going on. And yet, God's cause calls us, the children of God, to fight through the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches to share the good news. God calls us to push through it all, and, uh, and what an amazing thing that is. Uh, Friday afternoon, uh, my son Cody uh, took me on a, a rafting trip for uh, Father's Day and my birthday and uh, on the South Fork, and so you go up, they take you up to Banks, and you turn and go up another eight miles, and then you ride that eight miles, and I don't remember all the names of the rapids, but I just know that they were pretty rapid, okay? Uh, there were some class fours, and one of them is called Staircase, and uh, one of them is called Knock You Out of the Boat or something. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, but anyway, we're going down through there, and, and the guide said, uh, okay, we're going to hit a big rapids. And then right after that, if you want, uh, there's a, a rock that you can climb up, and it's about 20, 25 feet high, and you can jump in the river. 
And she's like, how many people in my boat want to do that? And Cody looked at me like, yeah, you want to do that? I'm like, I said, I don't want to do that. Like, when I was your age, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you want to do that. So he goes, okay, everybody do a paddle high five for everybody who wants to do it. And so all these, you know, there's two kids in the back that are like 16. There's a couple in front of us who are like 30. And then there's Cody and me in the middle. And everybody else puts their paddle up. Like, are these people crazy? They want to jump off a perfectly good 25-foot rock into a river? How crazy would that be? So anyway, we, we go through the rapids, and we all survive. We get to this rock, and he says, okay, hop out. Go, 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 go. So I went. Start, start climbing up this rock, and I'm like, why are we doing this? We could fall. We could hit our heads. We could fall in the river. Look at that river. It's moving, like, rapidly. And the water is supposed to be really deep if you jump into 25 feet water, or off a 25-foot rock. I don't know how deep the water is. Who tested this water? Right? So, so I go up, and, and so there's three places. There's one that's like 18 feet high, and then there's one that's like 22 feet high, and then there's, you go to the big daddy that's 25 feet high. Well, I got up to like the middle one. Like, I think this is probably good enough. It's like four times as high as I am, right? It's like two times as high as Kyle Stuke. So, um, you know, so I jump. Well, when I jump, I go under an immense amount of water, right? Way down in there. So I start swimming. Well, how was I to know that I swim in the wrong direction? I have no idea I'm swimming in the wrong direction. I'm swimming underwater. So when I pop up, I pop up in the middle of the South Fork of the Payette River instead of over by the boat where I'm supposed to be. And then the guy down the river in the kayak's going, swim, swim. And my life jacket, like it must not have been tight enough, like the shoulders are up here. My glasses are like this. I've got a helmet on. It's like back here on my head. He's swim, swim. So I'm like, you know, trying to swim, but the, it's carrying me down the river. And so here comes this kayak, this 18-year-old kid probably, who's a guide, right? 18-year-old kid, he's a guide. He comes rip-roaring through there in this kayak. He grab hold. So I grab this handle, and he goes, kick your feet. So I start kicking my feet, you know, have no strength left in my entire body. And we, I kick your feet. Now come up on the next handle. Okay. Kick your feet some more. And we finally made it to the side, and he drops me off in this sandy area that's not moving as fast. And he says, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, okay, I'm going to leave you now. Okay. You go rescue somebody else. You know, it made me think of this, though. If we're going to save people from their sin through Jesus Christ, we're going to have to fight through a few things, right? Because they are being carried down with a heavy current toward destruction. They are condemned already, and everything in their life is dragging them hell. And we got to fight through some things. Uh, the cause calls us to fight through 
the cares of this world to share the good news. And, and you wouldn't think that people would be upset by hearing good news. But Jesus said that those who share his truth can expect to be persecuted and misrepresented and possibly even killed. Paul told Timothy that even religious people will have itching ears and look for teachers who will water down the truth to the feel-good level. But serving God's cause is never an easy road. But it will always be the most important path that you can take as a child of God because investing in the souls of men and women, boys and girls, is an eternal enterprise that can't be matched by any pursuit on this earth. We are agents of hope. Hope is our business. And more than ever, people need hope. Now, I want you to look at one more passage as we finish up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and this is a great passage not only to be familiar with, but maybe even to, to memorize and to apply in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 18, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. You go back to David and 1 Samuel 17. One of those top ten famous stories in the Bible, David shows up at the soldier's camp. He's just a kid, and he's excited to see the battle, and he gets there, and he hears what's going on. And, and when he heard the curses and the insults of Goliath, and when he heard his God be demeaned, he said, somebody needs to do something about this. Why isn't anybody responding? Why is everybody cowering in fear? Why is everybody here self-absorbed? And worried about what other people think. There's a cause that's bigger than any of us. That all the people of the earth may know that there's a God. And if you guys won't go, I'll go. And of course, David's oldest brother was there. To knock him down a few pegs. To set him straight. Davy, why'd you come down here anyway? Uh, who'd you leave your little flock of sheep with? Why don't you go home and let the men be in charge of the battle? Here's the problem with the Eliabs, though. They are always ready to criticize what you're doing, but they never leave the sidelines. They keep up all the appearances, and everybody thinks they're warriors, and they talk the talk, but the cause never gets done. They're all hat and no cattle. David said, get out of my way. There's a cause. I'm not going to be talked out of my service for God. I'm not going to be intimidated away from doing God's will for my life. And listen, as you serve God, there's going to be plenty of good Christian people who talk a good game, but they've never really entered the arena of fighting for the souls of men. They've got tickets to heaven, and they, they mean well, but don't expect them to leave the sidelines to actually enter the battle. If it was true for David, it's going to be true for us. 
And so just fight for God's cause. Get in the battle, no matter what anybody else says. I love how David addressed the giant. He said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defy. This day will the Lord deliver you into my hand that all the people of the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. God's got this. Quit worrying about what other Christians think. Quit buying into all the excuses and tell somebody about hope because hope is our business. And what better business could there possibly be? What better cause could there ever be than God's cause? Let me pray with you. Father, we thank you this morning that we could come and start to get into this topic about your cause. And as we go deeper into your word in the next couple of weeks and, and see instances and, and just the, the reinstatement of your cause, we pray that today that you would give us the courage to seek out your cause for our lives and to do it, and to not be intimidated, and to not be influenced by those who would stand on the sideline. Help us to reach out and talk to souls this week about Jesus Christ, the only hope for salvation. Guide us from this place, and we pray that you'd bring us back tonight for this special communion service, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.